What's that coming up behind you in your rearview mirror? It's a driverless truck. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. talk about the coming of the driverless car, even though the road to that innovation has been a bumpy one. Just ask Tesla's Elon Musk, who recently has had to defend the nascent technology in the wake of a crash that killed the driver of a supposedly self-driving Model S. Also in development, however, is the driverless commercial truck, and that's bound to cause even more controversy. The image of an 18-wheeler barreling down the highway with an empty cab is enough to make anyone nervous. Today, though, we're going to find out about the actual progress toward development of a driverless truck from my guest, Gary Girardi, Executive Vice President of Chainalytics. He'll tell us what's holding back the arrival of that vehicle, what has to happen before it becomes a regular sight on our roads, and when that might occur. He also lays out the advantages of a driverless truck while addressing public concerns about safety and reliability. The biggest problem, he claims, isn't technology, it's public perception. So here is my conversation with Gary Girardi. Gary Girardi, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. There's a lot of talk, obviously, out there about self-driving cars, passenger cars, but I want to talk to you today about the prospects for self-driving trucks. Give me a sense, just in a broad manner, as to where you think that technology is today. Well, there's there's two aspects. There's from the technology perspective. So there are, technologically, there are self-driving trucks. You can go onto the internet and watch Volvo and, and Daimler and others uh, drive them around in through various parts of the world. So they do, from a technological standpoint, they exist. The question is not technology. It's not even money. The question is politics and people. And right now, governmental regulation environments and personal perceptions around the world are not open to having a driverless truck running down the highway with 40 tons of product in the back. So technologically, it's not a problem. The issue is more about perception and, and uh, getting, you know, getting the acceptability of them on the road. Well, where has it happened so far? I, I'm sure it's been tested to some degree, and I don't even, I don't know if it's in regular service anywhere. But where are we seeing self-driving trucks right now? In actual operation, in what they call limited control environments like mines. There are several mining operations in Australia and other parts of the world where. Large vehicles are operated by themselves. They wind down the side of the mine by themselves without any, any, anybody involved. But they're not anywhere right now being used on the roads. They have been used on roads in test environments. So they've run through various areas of Germany and in some of the western states, similar to the Google car in, in a test environment, right, uh, with a driver sitting there ready to grab the handle if anything goes wrong, right? It's always been, has to be cleared by the government and all that kind of stuff. What kind of vehicles are we talking about? Are we talking about smaller commercial vehicles or are in some no. cases are we looking at any 18-wheelers here or what? 
Uh, we're talking 18-wheelers. We're talking full Class A trucks. They're the same truck you see driving down the road every day. The only thing that's different is the computer inside has been modified to manipulate the operation itself. What is the advantage of a self-driving truck, anyway? The main advantage, of course, is you get the driver out of the seat, eventually. Let's take a step back. There's various levels of automated driving of a truck. Some of them are in play today. So all vehicles, brand-new truck vehicles sold in Europe must have what they call crash avoidance systems, and most of the ones in the United States have them as well. What that means is if a driver is uh, lost interest in the road and he's about to get into an accident, the computer will take over and slam the brakes on and prevent the accident from happening. That is uh, estimated to save, I think, something like 4,000 lives in the United States once that, that technology was deployed across the entire fleet. Uh, something like 4,000 lives would be saved annually. So that's the level that's available today. And you could go all the way up to eventually not having a driver in the seat. So in the early stages, the advantages are fuel efficiency and reduced and increased safety. In the long term, if you can get the driver out of the seat, it's a massive improvement in efficiency, meaning the limitation today on how fast product can move is basically the driver. He can only drive for 10 hours a day, and he has to take so many breaks and those sort of things because he's a human, and that has to happen. If it was an automated vehicle, it could start at one side of the country and just keep going until it got to the other side. Also, probably 40% of the cost of a trucking operation is the driver labor. That would be eliminated. So the advantages are enormous. An entire workforce ultimately would be eliminated. You could say that. I don't like to use the term eliminated, but... Uh, it would be redirected, let's put it that way, toward more value-added activities. I'm thinking of the interim point where there's still a driver in the cab but not driving over long distances. I can't think mm-hmm. of a more boring, more boring job than just sitting there doing it while you're tr- – Well, well you know. You know, I, I can argue that driving is about as most, just about as boring. Uh, the, <laughs> the, interestingly enough, there were studies done that said, what if you took the driver, he's in the truck, He's available to drive the truck if something goes wrong, but he has a Wi-Fi connection. He could be the logistics operator, so he could be on the computer telling the customer where he is. He could be looking for the next load. He could be monitoring the status of the freight behind him. He could be coordinating other trucks coming along to do relays and things. Think of the utilization of that individual who is not driving. So what's interesting is machines are exceptionally good at doing the same boring thing over and over and over for long periods of time. Humans are not very good at that. That's what driving a truck is. The same boring thing over and over and over again. Humans tend to get distracted. They tend to lose focus and bad things happen. Machines don't happen that way. Humans are really good at reacting. Humans are really good at short-term notice and having to process decisions. That's where that driver should be active, right, in that way. Yeah. So you could think of it as that they could be re- re- repurposed into a much more value-added logistics role for the company that they're driving for. Well, let me try to think for a moment like one of the members of that pub- of the public that might still have concerns about this, afraid that they would probably ask and have asked on multiple occasions mm-hmm. – what if the computer fails? What if the system goes right. down? Now, obviously, in many cases in our society, we depend on technology in life and death situations. Every time we get on an airplane, we depend on, on that to work, right? But exactly. for, some, for some reason, 
a lot of people worry about if the system goes down. So are there kinds of fail-safe mechanisms built into these trucks today that in the occasional inevitable computer crash, which we experience at our desktops from time to time, that that would not cause a fatal situation or an accident? Absolutely, absolutely. Think of it this way. First of all, the truck is being operated basically by sensors. And someone says, well, what if the sensor fails? There's pretty much two sensors for every one sensor that's in that truck. Nobody is going to be shortchanging that aspect. So the failure that way is minimized. But also, think about it in two different ways. When a computer fails, if it's programmed correctly like the cars are, it'll fail what they call elegantly, which means it slows down, it tries to get over, or it just simply stops. It puts on the hazards and it stops. That's not great. It's blocking a lane. It's causing traffic, but it's not killing anybody. Think about it when a person or a driver fails, when they lose interest in the road, they fall asleep, anything like that. That is an unelegant failure. They are usually going to crash and possibly kill them or themselves or at least damage a lot of property. So the thing that really, for me, you know, as, as somebody who looked at this, I would feel much safer if the computer was driving the truck than the human being. They just are much better at handling situations that are not good. Now, you know, if a snowstorm happens, if a freak rainstorm, you know, okay, we have some issues there. Most likely what would happen is a, a computerized vehicle couldn't understand the situation, i.e. a snowstorm, it would just stop, right? Not great, but certainly not death. Nobody, nobody dies, right? No, no damage to property. It's just simply, I don't know what to do. I'm stopping right here. And I'll send out a warning for someone to come help me. Can a self-driving vehicle sense, like let's say you're on the road and there's some kind of construction or obstruction up mm -hmm. front and you start to see signs saying slow down or the speed limit suddenly drops temporarily, um, how does a self-driving truck sense or understand when those unusual kinds of cases are taking place right. on the road? Well, it is sensing well down the road of obstructions. So you have to remember it can see a lot further than we can. So it's, it's sensing what's in front of them. So if a, a simple situation, if there's another car in front of them or cars in front of them, just like a human, it's starting to sense signs, it's starting to sense things, it will start to slow down with traffic. Let's take the situation of the truck is driving down the road, it's a, it's a rural road, there are no cars in front of it. At this point, there's no communication to say, hey, you know, 20, down, 20 meters down the road or, or whatever, there is a working crew. But you have to remember the car can see, the vehicle sensing can see way, way ahead of you. An example would be people have said, what if it's driving down the road at the middle of the night and a deer comes out? Will, you know, will the computer know to, how to swerve? The reality is that computer will see that deer way before any human would be because it can sense it. It doesn't need light. And it will start slowing down way before there's a crisis situation. Even, so if, it bursts, it, even if it bursts out onto the road like deer sometimes yeah, do? If it, bursts out onto the, yeah, if it bursts out onto the road, that would be different. If it flew into the road, it would, it would take corrective actions and probably could slam on the brakes faster than we can. It would probably take corrective actions. But that being said, it might hit the deer or it might derail, or not derail, but uh, flip the truck if something, you know, unavoidable. So that could happen. But I think that would be the same situation with a, with a human driving. But your, your question is right. We've not worked out there. They have not worked out all the kinks. They have not tested all the situations, and that's why we don't allow it to happen right yet. Right? We have to go through and make sure that all of those angular and side situations are all worked out. I think the one that's more troubling is what to do when sudden storms happen, right? things like that. 
there are ways to address it, and they're working on it, uh, but it'll take some time. Can you put a self-driving truck on today's roads, or is there any way in which the infrastructure needs to be changed or adjusted in order to accommodate them, whether in terms of sensors built into the road or the way the road works? I mean, is, any changes need to be made there? No. There's no changes. The current technology does not require any infrastructural changes. For example, I know this is a car situation. In Gothenburg, Sweden this year, there will be over 200 self-driving vehicles which are allowed to drive on public highways along with everybody else. There's been no technology put into those highways. It's simply the technology of the vehicle. The same is true for trucks. So there is nothing that is needed in the infrastructure. Down the road, let's see, let's say 50, 60 years from now, when automated vehicles are commonplace, yeah, we probably wouldn't build a road the way we build it today. But that's a that's a iterative step, I guess you would say, right? But in far as today goes, no, no infrastructure requirements are required. Interestingly enough, here's an interesting fact: self-driving vehicles are totally legal. There is no law on the books that says you. There's a law on the books that says certain people can't drive, i.e., unlicensed or or young. But there's no law that says the vehicle can't drive itself. Well, that's probably because lawmakers it? didn't even conceive of the possibility. <laughs> exactly you know? right. Exactly right. And okay. and the and the legal uh, the uh, governmental system is catching up. There, uh, you know, there's various groups in Europe and in the United States that are working pretty aggressively to get these rules in place. There's quite a heavy movement to have this happen. Obviously, there's very big positives for the economy if we could have this to happen. So they're working on those rules. They're working on those laws to figure out, you know, one of the big problems, and this is a completely human problem, not a technology problem, say something, God forbid, did go wrong and an automated vehicle did kill somebody. Who's at fault? Really big social question, right? In our world today, we always got to find someone to blame. And how do you, who do you blame? The manufacturer, the computer, the operator, the owner? You know, is all so that all has to be worked out. Well, you know what lawyers would do. Lawyers would go after every <laughs> single one of them. Exactly, exactly. And of course, just the governance of it. What level of testing and what level of certification is required to do this? And these these are things that are, uh, and, and I'm not poo-pooing them. They need to be worked out, and, and it's appropriate that these vehicles are not on the road until those things are worked out. I wonder if this, maybe it's too hard to say at this early stage, but I wonder what the cost of one of these vehicles of an 18-wheel, a self-driving 18-wheeler might be up front. I imagine there's a certain big investment to be made. Yep. Not really. It's about an additional $5,000 on top of the cost of a truck. That's all? So it's not, that's, it. that's it. So, again, it's not technology holding us back. It's not cost holding us back. It's not road infrastructure holding us back. It's simply people's perception and our capability of society to accept it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's estimated at about $5,000. You have to remember, if you drive any high, high-end vehicle these days, all the sensors are all there. Like, I've got a car that can park itself. You have automatic braking systems in most trucks. You have all these things. That's basically the underpinnings of, of the system. There are certainly other computer things, but it doesn't cost that much. The cost is not the issue. And believe me, the savings far, far outweigh the cost. So where are we on the public policy side in terms of laws and regulations? Are they starting to develop? And if so, which direction, either for or against self-driving trucks? They're starting to develop. In the United States, the National Highway Transport Association is expected to, they've given some guidelines and they're expected to give further guidelines. The automatic vehicle testing guidelines are supposed to come out this summer. In Europe, there is a number of countries led by the Dutch 
who are expanding their rules to understand this. The Swedes are doing pretty well as well. Uh, a number of states, so California, Florida, Nevada, are allowing what is called platooning now. This is where two trucks link together. There's a driver in the front. He's driving with the vehicle in the back. The driver's still there steering, but his feet are completely unoperable. He's not operating the vehicle. It's simply being operated by the guy in the front. There's huge fuel savings from that activity. So it's getting there. It's coming along. And as far as is the Earth's opposition, really, y- yes, of course, there are safety groups and there are you know, driver labor groups that are not so crazy about it. But the motivation is very high. The benefit to society from reduced deaths, from increased efficiencies, from lower cost of transportation and logistics is just too great to hold this back. What do you think we'll see first in terms of everyday use, self-driving trucks or delivery drones? Interesting. It takes a little bit of uh, qualification. You're sitting inside a major city. I'm sitting in the city of Milan. I will see neither. <laughs> it is too hard to drive in the city, and it's too congested to put a drone in here. So I'm not going to see any, any of them. If I'm sitting in a suburb, I'll probably see a self-driving truck because drone deliveries to suburbs are n- not that effective. It's going to be cost, it's cost prohibitive, but truck will probably be there first. If I'm remote and I'm in a rural area, I'll probably see a drone first. So it kind of depends on where the economics of, of uh, either either technology. I think both are going to come. I think that, to switch gears, not too much, but, you know, the delivery of high-value goods to very rural areas, i.e. parts to mine, medical equipment to rural hospitals, uh, things like that are probably going to go drone. That's where really it makes sense, right? But, you know, delivering your shoes... I'm not sure it would make cost-effective sense other than to have an automated truck do it. Yeah. What's your best guess as to when they will become a real thing? I'm self, Again, with self-driving trucks now. Yes. Okay. Uh, again, like a fully self-driving nobody in the vehicle. That's the ultimate goal. You're several decades away, mm. <laughs> probably 20 years away at least. Now, there are various elements of this. Uh, you know, I think I do have to give a – a bit of a plug to Richard Bishop and Bishop Consulting, who's the, the, probably the leader in this area. And so, I'm, you know, I talked to him a lot, and he's where the, one of the best. His estimate would be that probably around that time frame. But there's various different levels in between. There's going to be platooning. It's already happening. Platooning where the two trucks are linked together and the driver in the back is really just steering and monitoring. Then you will get to crash avoidance and feed off, basically where the driver is steering and monitoring, but he's really not controlling the brakes or the gasoline. The, the truck is just driving itself that regard. Then you'll get to a state of mind on, but feet and hands off. The truck is doing everything, but there's still somebody there monitoring and making sure it's happening. And then the final stage is the person is just not there at all. And those will evolve over time. You'll see, like, we have early stages of it today. Uh, like I said, you have crash avoidance systems. Many, many high-end cars and, and, and trucks, the same thing. They have rush hour or uh, high-traffic uh, self-driving, meaning during a rush hour situation and you're just bumping along, you can hit one button and basically you're just monitoring and the car's just following the car in front of it. So we already have various angles of that. But you know, get to the full level of totally automated, it's probably at least 20 years. Maybe better. Maybe it'll accelerate. Maybe I'm being pessimistic. <laughs> Is there anything that shippers should be doing now to prepare? I think I think the one thing they should be doing is monitoring the uh, the legal process and lobbying it for it to move forward. I think that that's the, the the biggest thing they can do. 
they are the voice of efficiency, and they need to kind of keep an eye on that. So they all, most large shippers have lobbying groups, and they might, they got to make sure that this issue gets pushed to the top and doesn't get pushed behind others. Secondly, they need to be looking forward. Uh, they are starting to make, you know, maybe not 20-year decisions, but they're making 10-year decisions on their distribution network. Once you get into a driverless vehicle situation, the standard 500 miles a day is gone. It could probably go up to 1,000 because the thing can go all night long, right? Start in the morning and go 24 hours straight. So how far a load could get in that time frame is quite different and quite different cost as well. So when you're looking at your network designs, you might, you know, if you're looking out that far, you need to take these into consideration that these standard rules of, of uh, truck transport are going to be different. Well, we will be looking in the rearview mirror to see these things <laughs> coming down the road. But uh, in the meantime, Gary Girardi, I want to thank you so much for being with us to talk about the prospects for self-driving trucks. Thanks very much. Bob, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. That was my conversation with Gary Girardi of Chainalytics, talking about the future of the driverless commercial truck. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.